0: Welcome to Episode 7 of the Everyday Sense Podcast. It's Monday, May 15th. I'm Jack Richardson, joined by Brennan Parks. And Brennan, uh, lots to get into today as ownership bids are due as of right now. We're recording this Sunday night, but it comes uh, available to everyone on Monday. So, ownership bids are officially due. And we don't really know, I guess, how long the process is going to be after that. But uh, how exciting is this day, Brennan? Because it's been, been a long time coming. This process has been very dragged out.
1: Yeah, it feels a lot longer than we were expecting too. I think uh, if you would have asked me a few months ago or or when this started, when we'd think it would be over, I would have said quite a while ago. Just keeps dragging on. But uh, tomorrow will be a big day. I don't know how much info we're going to get. I guess by the time this is out, we might know a couple things. But um, yeah, I mean, I feel a little disappointed with ownership just based on the recent news, which we'll get into. But yeah. Regardless, I think this is a big turning point for the organization and and something that, you know, if you told any Sense fan two, three years ago that we'd be here today, I think they'd be more than content. So, yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, this might have felt so drawn out just because of all the celebrity names attached to it and all the different headlines coming out. And, you know, we have to do our research on all these different groups and stuff, which is, you know, you do your due diligence. But, I mean, the big news, obviously, last week, uh, which happened right after we recorded episode six, so it was unfortunate timing, but uh, that Ryan Reynolds is out. Uh, him and Remington were are withdrawing their bid. It was reported by ESPN, confirmed by Bruce Garriott at the Ottawa Sun. Um, not ideal, right? Because he was kind of the guy who everyone was circling, and he was the standard, even though he hadn't really done anything yet. It was, it was more of a, you know, he's done it in Wrexham. Uh, all his companies seem to do very, very well, very quickly. Uh, so it just seemed like a match made in heaven. He's from Ottawa, uh, partnering with Toronto Realtors, which would have been good for Le Breton. Um, but it fell through because they weren't provided an exclusive negotiating window. So what I'm going to ask you is about this, because there were a lot of takes, a lot of opinions out there. Uh, do you blame this on Reynolds and Remington, or do you blame it on the Gallioto? I believe I'm pronouncing that right. It's the firm that the senators hired to handle the sale uh, a new york-based firm do you blame reynolds and remington or do you blame galliotto and the senators for not allowing that uh exclusive window to be provided for for their group
1: no i definitely blame reynolds and remington and and there's so much like so many conflicting reports here because i mean they are definitely out we know they're not going to make a bid but then you know elliot friedman chimes in and says okay reynolds could join another group and and friedman's the most plugged in guy out there right and there's just so many different reports right now. Um the window thing, like the reason they dropped out and I wrote an article on it too, but it, it really confused me. I didn't really understand like I understand why it happened and and that they wanted the window, I just don't understand why they thought they'd actually get the window, right? Like 4 days before the bids are due, they just decide to drop out of the entire process when they were kind of considered the front runner by most people, right? It almost seems like it was a cop out in a way. I I don't know, this is all just speculation, but um I thought partnering with remington was a bit weird for reynolds from the beginning because remington had the same thing happen when they bid on the coyotes in 2012 they actually backed out of that deal too when they were kind of looking like they might get it because of the real estate opportunities so i don't know like what's up with remington but i think their their relationship with the league is kind of broken at this point um losing reynolds would be just it, it feels so disappointing even though we're going to be in a great spot um I'm still holding out hope that he's going to join another group. I know uh, Michael Ann Lauer would be a, a great fit for him if he did want to. But like Bruce has reported and, and several others have, he feels pretty disappointed the better right now, Ryan. I mean, I think, again, he was in it for more than just the money and more than just the real estate. But like he said on the Jimmy Fallon show when he went on there in November, he needed partners with deep pockets. And at the end of the day, if Remington wanted to back out of that deal, like he couldn't do anything about it. Right? He can't buy the team on his own. So I'm sure he's bitter about it, but uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Maybe we get a a little surprise.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And again, I don't know if we're going to hear tomorrow. Like it, it might be another two weeks for all we know. They might have another round of bidding, God forbid. But uh, I th- I think for me, I, I agree with you that that it's on them because you can't, especially with so much public attention, not just because of Reynolds, but because of you know bigger names. And for all like we have to assume that the the window was was requested after Snoop Dogg and the weekend were reportedly interested. Like that's my guess. My my guess is that because why would they do that in the first place? But um, as a bid, you can't, you can't prioritize them just because like, because then it kind of lose, you lose your negotiating power if you do that, if you're the Sens, right. And let's not forget, like, this isn't a, just, just a regular sale. This is billions of dollars here. Um, and you might think, you know, the, these, these, ownership groups have have so much money they can you know it doesn't really matter blah 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 but they they need to buy the team and then they need to have enough money to operate the team properly right like they're not going to have an influx of cash right when they buy the team so you have to think about that and and that's also something to consider when Reynolds if he wanted to join another group because look I'll give a little bit of credit to or not sorry not credit I guess I'll, I'll kind of criticize I guess send the sends and the firm that they hired because I, I think part of what was reported is that Reynolds and Remington were frustrated with how long the process was, and that's completely fair because he was publicly interested in November. Um, picked like I I don't know I, I don't want to say that the Sens are are taking too long here, picking their you know picking their best suitor, but they they had more bids than they expected. I think that was that was written um, and, and stated like they weren't expecting so much attention. Um, and in, in when that happens, you can drive the price of the bid up, and it's like it's a business at the end of the day. So uh, I guess where I'm going with this is like if Reynolds wants to join another group, you might think originally like, oh, why doesn't he just put whatever percentage he was gonna have into another group, therefore making it the highest bid by a mile? Like I said, you can't do that because you have to have operating costs. You have to be able to fund the team and like pay rent on uh the, the lease at Breton. Like there's so many other little things. To, to factor so um, I think Ann Lauer might make the most sense just because there isn't another celebrity already attached to it but um, for me personally now that he's out of the running I think I'm all aboard the Nico Sparks train
1: yeah and I've been talking about the Nico Sparks train too and like I have uh, I have this tweet where I put it I said like his consortium is Snoop Dogg, Matthias Nordstrom who's close friends with Daniel Alfredson and they think Alfredson would get a role like it's been reported that he would probably get a significant role on the hockey operations side of things with that group Trevor Daly, Grant Fuhrer. um, And then they, but the problem and where people are drawing their lines with this group is that they have a lot of investors. So most ownership groups you look around and it's like one or two big investors, right? Like Ann Lauer, it would just be Ann Lauer pretty much. And whatever, you might have minor investors, but it's going to be primarily him as the kind of the known owner. With this group, we're talking about, you know, 12 plus major investors. Nico Sparks wouldn't be the lone guy. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing like everybody else does, though. I mean, you're getting money from Canada, from the US and from the UK, and they're backed by the Rubin family who are worth $15 billion. <laughs> so you're talking about operating money. That group has the money if, if those Rubin brothers are really backing them. So um, would Reynolds join that? I mean, we come back to the the issue with Reynolds now, and I think what he liked about Remington based on what we know. And, and again, I don't actually know. Nobody does except for Reynolds himself. But I think that he liked the vision where he could be the face of the franchise because Remington was really interested in the real estate and wanted to do LeBreton. And that's why they wanted the window, which it wasn't fair of them to think they'd get it. But I get why they asked for the window, because they wanted to know they could get a deal for LeBreton done. And they wanted more land than LeBreton was actually like expected to be. So, yeah, I mean, I think with Remington, Reynolds had the opportunity to be the hockey Face of it, like he could be on the hockey side of it and be the face of it. I don't know if he's going to get that with any other group. Even Ann Lauer, like he's been around the hockey teams. He, he's a big hockey guy. I think Remington proposed to him that he could be the face of it, and he's not going to get that now. So will he come back in? I mean, the opportunity for that that documentary that he wants to do is still there. I think. I I don't know who reported that. Somebody reported that any group would be happy to have him right now. Like you'd be kind of silly to to turn away Ryan Reynolds with how much popularity he's getting and, and attention he's garnered. Um, but yeah, I think I'm with you on the Nico Sparks train I think Ann Lauer provides a lot of great opportunities too I, I like him The Kimmel brothers have the weekend involved I don't really know a whole lot about them Because they've been pretty quiet And uh, yeah, I don't know how many bids they're going to get I think it's been reported that they think it's going to sell For $800 million to a billion still uh, The price might go down a bit But um, But yeah, other than that They might get four to six bids They might get three bids They might get two bids, right? It's anybody's guess
0: and, and I, I mentioned, you know, the negotiating stuff and, and when it was reported that Reynolds and Remington had a billion dollar bid, um, you know, I'm going to quote Pierdorio on here, we don't negotiate through the media, like it's not an accident that these things leak. And I would imagine that that leaking on behalf of Remington was uh, perhaps a a negotiation tactic. For, I don't know, maybe drive the price down a little bit for them. Like that could have been part of the negotiating uh, to get an exclusive window and to be honest, look like if the Sens don't end up selling for exactly a billion dollars, um, I'm not gonna fault the Sens for not caving on this this thing. And yeah, it sucks, and we want Reynolds, and you can say that the league maybe should have stepped in and and said, yeah, do what this guy wants. He's gonna be great exposure, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, like they don't get different rules than other people, and and like I said earlier, I think I was saying this on Twitter the day that the news broke. Like, it's not gonna be a bad situation we have to go into this ownership thing and yeah you can look up the history of certain people and all like how they made their money and whatever and um what they've been doing but at the end of the day this is going to be a positive situation for the ottawa senators and the fans because uh look at the last calendar year it's been pretty exciting in ottawa uh so so anyone who anyone who comes in is gonna just kind of ride this wave i guess is what i kind of mean and and um, I don't. I don't think that just because it's not Reynolds and it won't be all this public exposure like Rexham's having, um, that, that ownership will be a bad thing at all. It's
1: just bittersweet, right? That's the word you're describing as bittersweet. It's like Reynolds was the the premium, like the A plus 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 option. But then if you get an Anlauer, you get the Nico Sparks, but that's like still an A plus option. Like, we're talking about going from some of the worst years and days in franchise history. I would consider the last few years had some of the worst moments, like there was some really truly awful moments um for the Sens and for the league because of them uh, and we're we're going to a group now who I think, regardless of who it is, they're gonna have a lot of money and and money is, is one thing. but I think like I'd have to look a- into some of these other groups a little more, but i'm I'm pretty content with who the people are that are are bidding yeah. here. I mean, Nico Sparks obviously is a bit of a ghost, but he seems like a a pretty respectable guy who's worked with the team and has a lot of. You know, and same with Snoop, where they want to change the game of hockey and make things better. They seem to have really good morals and values. And and this is something that we do need to look for, because as much as we want them to be good for the sends, we want them to be good people. Like, we don't want to end up with another situation where we're into, you know, some toxic different situations and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think, like you said, it's just bittersweet. Reynolds being out at first, my initial reaction was was pretty heavy disappointment. And it has nothing to do with him being a celebrity. It has everything to do with the opportunities that came because of that. The marketing, the series, whatever it is, um, it just sucks to lose out on that. But again, you never know, and and yeah, I think regardless, we need to be happy because this is a much better place than we were in even a year or two ago.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and we'll we'll leave the Reynolds discussion on this. Uh, just what you mentioned, Elliot Friedman, just kind of you know saying um, how he could potentially join another group, and uh, he he was he was saying that the timing is very strange. Like it's very strange for. I would imagine that that came out a day or two after the decision was made to withdraw like i don't think it was much time in between um so the timing is very curious like it's it's interesting that they even put it out now um and not not
1: well why not just wait until the bids are made and then be like That's oh the they thing. didn't make yeah. a bid like why would you make it public the yeah. week of the bids it makes no sense
0: like as, if you're reynolds and remington why not even just just make a bid but like no you're not going to win kind of thing I don't know if money works that way I have no idea but like you know what I mean like it, the 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 exposure that that got had to be intentional on someone's part it, whether it was the sends or I don't know who Emily Kaplan's sources are or Bruce's sources but um whatever side they're on it was it was absolutely intentional It'd be Absolutely.
1: hilarious if they came back in and made a bid after all this. Like, there was some speculation yeah. they could just make a last-second bid and this was all a play to drive the price down. That would be so funny. Like, that would be just I mean, entertainment. I don't
0: even know how I would feel about that, to be honest. Like, like it's like, <laughs> Snaky, like what, are we, but... <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we'll move on from Reynolds, and I kind of want to get into a, uh, a a graphic that you put up the other day um, and, and in a post and kind of a discussion about the Ottawa Senators' top-four defense uh, as it stands right now so right now what we're including is uh artem Zub, jake sanderson jacob chikrin and thomas shabbat and brendan i'll let you kind of take the reins on this one your question was can this be the best top four in franchise history
1: yeah and let me start by saying that, that this generated a lot of outrage and mark method i think ratioed me a little bit i don't even think he was responding directly to me i think it was kind of a a chain of replies but my intention was not to say they are the best group because, like, don't get me wrong, Jack and I are young and we didn't live. I, I don't know about you, Jack, but I have a hard time remembering 2005 because I was four years old and, and that was a, yeah, a young yeah. time. Um, But no, like we're not trying to say or I'm not trying to say they were better than the, the Chara era and all that. Um I'm saying they hold potential to be and I'll stick by that. I think. Like, Jake Sanderson, and I replied, I kind of doubled down by saying, Jake Sanderson, I'm ready to say, and this is bull, but he will be the second best defenseman in franchise history behind Eric Carlson. Because I just, this guy, I think he's going to be, like, a, a top five to ten defenseman in the NHL for many years, and, and that's a, a big feat, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I just think you look at this group, and I think... A lot of people come back to the health, too, is a big thing, right? Chikrin has a lot of health problems. If you remove one of these guys from the equation, it kind of falls on Brandstrom and what he can do because that group then gets a lot weaker if you're missing a Chikrin type. Um, I just look at these four players and and I think of how talented they really are. And, And talent is a little bit different on paper than it is, you know, in the actual game and on the ice. And I think that's important, too, is we need to see them on the ice. And I agree with everyone replying with that, like, yeah, on paper, they look talented, but we haven't actually seen them together because they were always hurt last year after they acquired Chikrin. So I agree. I think uh, this season will be huge. But again, it, same goes for Shabbat. People are really upset with Shabbat and think, you know, he, he had a really down year and he's not this number one guy. But what is that true or was it just a down year? Because right? I think he's going to bounce back. I think he's going to be a, a legitimate top four to top parent guy. And you look at these four and, and I mean, Artem Zub is a little bit behind the other three of them. But these are all, like, I consider Shabbat, Chikrin, and Sanderson are all top-pairing players, and it's hard to keep guys like that long-term, and they should be able to with these guys. So, yeah, what do you think?
0: Well, I was going to say, like, like it's maybe not how the outlook of it, and it's like, oh, you got one pairing that's going to score all the goals and then one that's going to shut everyone down. And um, Because, yeah, I think it, what it's lining up is Shabbat, Chikrin, um, and that's probably your offensive pair between the, the, the two, with Sanderson and Zoo being more the shutdown. But I guess my point is, is kind of to what you said. like. Chikrin, Sanderson, and Shabbat are all number one defensemen on, a, on an NHL team. I, I'll stand by that. I'll fight anyone on that. To be honest, like I think all three of them have potential or are already number one defensemen in the league. So I guess like and like you said, we're a bit too young. I, I don't remember watching Zdeno Chara as an Ottawa Senator. I'll just admit that. But at the time, what it was, it was Volchenkov, Chara, Redden, and Phillips. Right? I don't. I mean, who's the number one guy there? And is it? Another case where it's you have three different number one guys, it sounds like it might be right. Like, I know that Chris Phillips at the time was dominant in shutting people down. Um, and I know Volchenkov was an absolute beast and just blocking shots and stuff like that. Uh, but to me, those four were so good based on what I know about the team and how good the sends were at the time. Those four were just very good at shutting people down, they, were, they weren't it wasn't dynamic offense or anything like that. And obviously, look, you also have to consider. The NHL in the game has changed dramatically. So I think a top four then and a top four now has to look way, way different. So to answer the question posed below there, can this be the best top four in franchise history? Absolutely. Because like you said, it's all about potential. And you think about, I mean, I wrote, I've talked a lot about Javon, like you mentioned, like this, that could be what he is. He could just be a 60 point offensive defenseman. That's okay though. That's still a top four defenseman um but i i would say that even maybe even chikrin um but sanderson especially haven't hit their potential yet uh so so to me i think that's that's what's enticing about it whereas i would say chara i mean maybe maybe you can make the argument though that even chara hadn't hit his potential in ottawa he definitely was better in boston i just mean like was he i think they were just all a bit older is what i kind of is what i'm trying to say like i i don't know if you've got the ages that are pulled up but uh I know that uh, Phillips was 1999. So he would have been, I guess, pretty young. Wow.
1: Chara was in his best year, I guess, best, best or second best. He was 28 years old. So like, we're talking like eight years older than Sanderson. Now I will say when I looked at the numbers, because for whatever reason, I haven't actually looked at the numbers of like individually for Chara and Redden and all these guys, it's just not something that's come along naturally, but I mean, Chara and Redden actually each finished top 10 in Norris voting twice within like a three year span. And Chara was, was, uh, in 2005, he finished fourth, and in 2004, he finished second in Norris voting on the Sens, which I'm not going to lie, surprised me a little bit because the stories I've heard of Chara was that he was a goon who threw a lot of punches yeah, and broke his hands. I did not so, know that. Yeah, so so he finished second in 2004. 2004, yeah. Finished wow. seventh Seventh in 2003, second in 2004, fourth in 2005, and then Ottawa let him go. So that, like, wow. that, I mean, that makes it a little more interesting, and I see why people are so outraged because, yeah, <laughs> I haven't even looked at those numbers. I mean, say what you want, but it's impressive. Um, it is impressive. Now, those sense teams were ridiculously good overall, yeah. right? Like, when you're on a good team and an the elite team who's, you know, among the top three, top five teams in the league, that makes you a better player. And if this core is a top five team in the NHL through Sanderson's prime, he is going to be a Norris candidate every single year. I promise you I'd bet, like, I'd bet everything on it right now.
0: Oh, and, and we don't, like Travis Hamannick said, this kid's going to win Norris trophies. So, I, I like Several. that quote from from the <laughs> Hammer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. I mean to 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 kind of counter what you said about being on a really good team. You get Norris' attention. You are a good team because you have such a good top four. So I think I think yeah. When you're talking when you're talking about one guy being like, oh his teams weren't as good. That's a bit different. But you're talking about the nucleus of your defense core. You can absolutely be like, you know, if if they're not taking them to a president's trophy, which is what the Sens in 2003 did with that top four, then you can make the argument that that top four was better. Um, now. If the Sens are a great team and then win the cup, that's a better top four than that president's trophy team. So I think I'm going to start, I'm going to measure it by playoff success at the end of the day. Um, So, but, but to answer the question, it absolutely has the potential to be. uh, And I I think what I'll defend you a bit there because you did, it it was a bit of outrage and we'll get into another one that people on Twitter were mad at for some reason. Um, But I think, you meant more. It it has the potential to be, and I this is one of the best top fours that Suns have ever had.
1: Well, see, I thought that that was kind of self-explanatory because the way I like we're talking about a 20-year-old Jake Sanderson here, and Chikrin too is only entering his prime. So I kind of the way I phrased it was a little little bit messed up, but um, yeah, I meant this is one of the most talented groups and projects to be, you know, among the best top fours because. Again, I just—it's potential, and I come back to talent and skill. And in, in the modern age, is a lot different than that 2005 era, like we're talking about. I think even a Chikrin and, and a Shabbat and a Sanderson, these guys have immense talent and skill. Like they're not just shut down guys. These guys are very, very skilled. And, and I don't know. I just I see a lot of potential, and I think they're constructed a little bit differently than that core was back in the day for Ottawa. Like you said, I think they're going to be a little bit more maybe offensive and, and able to contribute in that regard. It's a different game. It's hard to compare. It's not, you know, apples to apples. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can leave it at that. I just, I definitely, I, I see a lot of potential and I think they could be the best top four in a few years.
0: The other thing too that we will we'll move on after this, but like you got to factor in longevity, right? Like how long are these guys going to play together? Because obviously, infamously, the Sens in 2006 picked Redden over Chara and then the rest is kind of history there. But, uh, you know, that, that 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 matters. You have to factor that in um into what's a better one like if they have this top four somehow for the next 10 years then i think that's that's pretty uh pretty elite all right so i i kind of alluded to something else that people on twitter kind of got mad at and i i, I guess right now it's monday so yesterday i just tweeted out and i was like you know what nothing's really happening for the Sens. it's the day before the bids are due uh, it's a sunday night uh or sunday during the day Leafs are lease were eliminated on friday so it's a lot of that circulating around, like, what are they going to do, and what's going to happen with management and coaching and blah blah blah. Uh, so I tweeted out that I would be happy to have Sheldon Keith and or Kyle Dubas in Ottawa next season. Uh, I believe I I don't know how many replies have come in at this point that we're recording, but uh, it was a lot. A lot of people are not happy about Keith in general. I think most of the people said Dubas yes, Keith no. Um, and I don't know why. I, I'm very curious why. Playoff success, sure. Um, but to me, and we've talked about this like so much already. This is episode seven. We've talked about it probably every episode. Um, that next year, the Sens have to make the playoffs. So I don't really, you know, we'll focus on what to do when you make the playoffs and how they can be a better team. And maybe, maybe this core can't even play in the playoffs. Who knows? But until we get there, I don't care about that. So when I look at Sheldon Keefe, I see a one of the best coaches in the league in the regular season, and I don't know how anyone can kind of debate that. And it's more about the defensive side of the puck to me, which is where the Sens need the most help next season. Toronto is one of the best defensive teams in the NHL, so I don't really know what the the problem with Keefe is. Like, I, to me, he's an obvious upgrade on DJ Smith, and that's no slight to DJ, but Keefe I think is just a better coach. So. Uh, Brendan, how do you feel about everything? Because it, it was—I was just a little bit surprised at how many. Like, I don't think anyone who replied and took the time to, which we we are very thankful for, we always love that, um, was was in favor of Keith. I I could be wrong, but it was very very against and very anti-Sheldon Keith in Ottawa.
1: Yeah, so I don't pretend to know everything about Sheldon Keith. I get where people are coming from because, for one, it's always hard to acknowledge that. We want someone from Toronto, especially when they just got bounced from the playoffs. Like, it, I mean, it kind of comes back to two that they just took DJ Smith from Toronto, and a lot of people don't like DJ Smith now and are unhappy with that. So it's like, are we going to keep taking Toronto's, uh, you know, seconds? And, and this is what everybody's talking about. So I don't know. I think you look past that. I think we can be more mature than that. Um, Keith, in himself, I, the concerns with the playoffs are valid because Toronto is infamous for their terrible playoff streak. But I mean, the last three years before this one or two, I guess, two of the last three years, they lost to Columbus and Montreal in the first round who were two. Montreal made the finals, but they were two pretty bad teams that Toronto probably should have beat. Um, again, though, it comes back to, like, how much of that is actually on Keefe. And, and we're not Toronto Maple Leaf uh, scouts or pros here that, that know everything about the Leafs. But to me, they were losing before Keefe came there in the playoffs, right? Like, they were not a good playoff team years before Keefe came there. I think that core is the issue. And that's what I come back to with Toronto is I think it's more the players. There is something inherently wrong with that team because I do even put together a pretty good squad, like admittedly, and they still failed. I don't know what is wrong with that that team, but I think they should break it down on Keith specifically. Yeah, we, we said the same thing with Gerard Glaunt, right? I mean, they finished over the last three years. Toronto was first in the North, second in the Atlantic and second in the Atlantic. They won 50 plus games each of the last two years. And they've been a top three Atlantic team in each of his four years as coach in Toronto. So, I don't know. For me, like we said with Gallant, people are looking ahead, right? Because before you get to the playoff, or before you before you win in the playoffs, you have to get to the playoffs. And I just think, same with Gallant, they both have shown that they can do it in the regular season. And yes, you want your coach to be a John Cooper who stays there for ten years plus and and has this this dynasty legacy with your team. But in reality. Coaches have short lifespans these days, right? You want to focus on specific goals, and like, if Keith, if Ottawa gets to the playoffs next year and they lose in the first round, and Sheldon Keith is their coach, is anybody going to be complaining? No, like, like that's a win, right? So I don't know. I would be happy with with someone like Keith, but um, but yeah, I'd be pretty much happy with a lot of the coaches on the market. So
0: yeah, we just need a new voice, and we're fans, and we cover the team. But like, imagine the players. Like, it's time just for a new voice and a new. Like, a lot of people make a make a big deal about the system, but honestly, I just think like like it's got to be a new voice. So um, I don't know, like I don't know a ton about the Leafs either, but obviously in the playoffs, I've been watching them a lot because they're on TV. Um, and, and you're right, I think it's it's on the players. I don't know, like I don't know how you classify someone getting out coached. Like I don't know how that like, like is it goaltending? Like me, I saw a lot of people in Boston saying that Montgomery was was severely out coached by Paul Maurice. Like. Sure, I guess like, you could probably point to a couple things, but at the end of the day, like there's only so many adjustments a coach can make during a playoff run um, that, that I don't know if it's, if it's fair to, to well, point it all at Jelda Keefe.
1: Merners, Matthews, and Tavares combined for one goal in the second round. So if you want to talk about being out coached, like I just, I don't know. I look at that stat and when you, that's how much money is that? That's $30 million plus right there yep. on your, of your, that's almost half of your cap. Yeah, And they, they scored one goal in the second round in five games, six games, six games. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, it's just no five games. Wow. Yeah, that's five, bad. Yeah. That's yeah. bad. Panthers in um, five. I don't know. You look at that and, and they're probably going to fire Keith. I mean, they should because they've just they need to do something different. But I just I don't blame it on Keith when I see that Marners, Matthews and Tavares scored one goal in the second round. Like they all disappeared. How is yeah. that not on the players?
0: And what are you like as a coach, okay, let's say that's happening, and you know your top guys aren't producing. what are you gonna do? You have to play them. they're your best players like it's I don't know it just, it just kind of boggles my mind um when when I think this year actually in Ottawa, to bring it back to the Sens, there were a lot of instances this season where it was it was it d j smith's fault uh fault, sorry, or was it on the players who weren't finishing because look, a coach can't put the puck in the net for you and and as much as we like to make fun of how they kind of just bring up a- analytics uh, randomly in their press conferences, and it doesn't really sound like they're, you know, actually using them to inform their decisions, you know, they were right about the expected goals and stuff like that's on the players. Alex to and Drake Batherson did not finish the season. And if they did, you're probably looking at a team who was a playoff team. And that's just like, it's just the fact. So as much as we want to, you know, harp on the defensive game, I think I, I said earlier that uh, the defensive side is the most important thing for the Sens to fix this summer. But honestly, if we're being real, it's 5v5 offense. That's what needs to to, to uh, excuse me to change if they want to become a playoff team. Because I think they were um, 18th maybe in goals against that 5-on-5. Five five. I don't know if you can pull that up quickly. Uh, and I know their offense was just either a little bit below that or a little bit above that. But you need one of them to be like in the top half of the league if you want to even have a sniff of playoffs. And I think the offense is the easiest thing to to, uh, to tweak just based on the talent they have. So, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't understand not wanting Sheldon Keith because, uh, because of Toronto's failures. And I understand not wanting another guy who started there and blah, 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 but um, I think he's a good coach and uh, this, he, he would benefit the Sens. He took, he took the Leafs to another level, even if they didn't find playoff success. Like, those couple of years with Babcock in Boston, they were not the better team against the Bruins. They weren't supposed to beat them, I don't think. So a year like this, like it's it, it's tough because they didn't really do well, and he doesn't have playoff success. But that being said, he would take the sense to the next level.
1: Yeah. So I just pulled up the numbers here. Um, oh, this is kind of atrocious, actually. But Ottawa had ranked 26th with 151 5 v 5 goals for. Which, considering their roster, they scored less goals at 5-5 than the Arizona Coyotes, for God's sakes. Now, wow. it's a little bit different. I mean, I could put it over 60 minutes to balance it, and they'd probably move up to around 20th. But um, expected goals, they were 16th at 176. So they scored like 25 less goals than expected, which is just, I guarantee that's the last in the league. Like, that, that's just brutal. Yeah. That should never happen. You should be scoring more goals than expected with the roster they have. Again, I don't look at that as a terrible thing moving forward because that suggests luck. You're not going to be negative 25 on goals scored above expected multiple years in a row. That just doesn't happen. It's ridiculous. There's no way they will score or they will fail to score like that again. And I think that there could be a big jump because of that. Like, I I really think that's an outlier. If you look at the next five years, it's going to be an outlier. Um, Expected goals against, or sorry, goals against, they were, uh, what, 21st? I believe they gave up the 21st most at 177. So to me, 5v5 defense is still a big problem. I think they gave up way too many high-danger chances. I think they really failed to do anything other than stare at the puck in the defensive zone. Like, that's what I noticed them doing all the time, even their best players. Um, I did an article. I wrote an article where I broke down. It was called One Indicting Trend under DJ Smith. And it was that every single player that comes to Ottawa sees a massive regression defensively. And I shared proof like we're talking about numbers and facts and expected goals against was kind of the main fact here and the main number every player that joined the team I use this season but it goes back to the past, past seasons under DJ every player saw big regression in the expected goals against when they were on the ice so Ottawa was giving up way more expected goals than they were with their their previous team is basically what it comes down to and like that was the same for Claude Giroux who's renowned for his defensive play it was the same for every player like every player's expected goals against got worse when they came to Ottawa and to me that just and I went back years, and it just kept happening. It was the same thing. It's like this is a clear trend that it's a red flag, and it's something that you look at, and you say, okay, clearly there is an issue in Ottawa because they are performing worse defensively than they did on other teams. And a lot of these other teams were not good teams, but they were still better defensively. So for me, it's defense is a problem. But yeah, this year specifically, goal scoring at 5v5 was arguably their biggest problem.
0: Yeah, I guess that's that's kind of my point Is is you can – the smallest tweak to me – for the team would be to score more goals and and to to finish and not just you know it's easier said than done yeah yeah, yeah but to finish their chances and not that I'm saying that where their expect where their goals against was was good it's just if you can outscore your problems a little bit which this team should have been able to do and they did in a lot of games to be honest like they it, it, a lot of high scoring games in Ottawa this season um, those those kind of games should be enough to get you into the playoffs like it, that's what I mean like what, it was 20 expected less than they, or 20 less than was expected for them. That's not nothing. That's, that's November. That's March. Like 25. that's 25. 25. Like that's incredible that they like, ugh, it's, it's just, it's not good. So my point is anyway, that could easily have carried them into the playoffs this year. And then we could talk about, you know, fixing defensive stuff um, in the offseason. Cause even if they made the playoffs this year, I'm sure we'd have a discussion uh, about DJ Smith being the coach.
1: For sure. Yeah. And and it's just it seems like a lot of fixable things, right? Like and you can look at that in a positive or negative light because you can say this season, it feels like they had a lot more potential. And this is what I keep saying is it feels like, I mean, if they could have won, like they were three games out of the playoffs. I mean, if they could have just won three of those November games when they went one and 10. And I think they lost like all of those games by one goal. If you exclude empty nets, which is atrocious and ridiculous. Um, If they could have just scored, you know, one more goal in a lot of those games and even. I mean, if they could have scored one more goal in those games and gone to overtime, they would have made the playoffs in in three of them, right? And that's not even half those games. So, I mean, yeah, I think this season there was a lot of fixable issues. I think you can look at it positively because, again, next year, there's no way they're going to fail to score that much. Like, it's just bad. There's a, there's bad luck involved there. It's not all just like Alex Brinkett sucks at shooting. It It's there is bad luck involved there. So I think we can be positive about that. I am interested to hear your opinion on Kyle Dubas, though, because I think Pierre, you, you felt strongly that Pierre should be, you felt stronger than me that Pierre should be removed as GM immediately. So what do you think about Dubas coming in as a replacement if that were to happen under new ownership?
0: I'd love it. Uh, I think he's, he's, and like we talked about last episode where we just ripped into Dorian and DJ, uh, more, more so Pierre. Um, and we got a little bit carried away, but it's okay because it's, it's, it's the truth. Um, just how, how it's, you know, the outlook of everything. Um, I think with, with Dubas, his biggest knock is those contracts and he signed all of them, Matthews, Tavares and Marner being the, you know, combining for 33 and a half million for three guys. And the one thing I gave Dorian a lot of credit for was the contracts. So it's kind of a contrast, right? Like it's a part of the job and Dubas didn't do the best job at it when he first started. Uh, and Dorian has done a great job at that but other than that i think Kyle Dubas has filled out that roster very very well um there's a reason that they were a top 5 team in the league for the last few seasons and again like we said about Keith Keith sorry uh, it's it's not just on the management and coaching it like i think if you ask any ter- any leafs fan right now they would probably tell you that it's on the players and it, it's kind of the same sentiment um, as Toronto, as um, excuse me, when they lost to Montreal, I think it was like these guys just didn't show up. Marner was a no show. Matthews, no show. Tavares, no show. Like that's not on the GM, right? Um, and I think what's good is that he he's proven that he is going to stick by his guys. He's going to stick by the guys who have long term deals. He's not going to blow it up. Um, and and as a sense fan, it's been good because the Leafs have just kind of stayed stagnant, but. I think that's good because if the Sens go and kind of struggle a little bit and he's the GM, I don't see him taking an anchor to this core. Like, it's a very good core that's been built here. We just talked about their top four defense has been very good um, or assembled very well anyway. And it took a long time to do it, but it's been you know, this is a very good core that they have assembled. So I I like the way he was able to fill out the lease roster, which is honestly exactly what needs to happen to Ottawa this summer. It's bottom six guys, depth defensemen and goaltending. And I think Kyle Dubas did that very well in Toronto
1: yeah and Dubas like admittedly again with the Leafs I like a lot of the player that players they've targeted like they've targeted well on the pro scouting side of things which is where Dorian and Ottawa has really struggled Dubas seems to have like a good grasp on what makes a quality NHL player and I know a lot of people don't like analytics but it seems like he and, and the Leafs use analytics quite heavily with who they kind of target and address um Again, it's hard to say that they have a good roster because they just keep losing in the playoffs and people will just keep bringing that up. But I mean, like even acquiring a Giordano, like that that to me is just such a, a quality move at this point in, in his career and, and to get him for cheap, right? So Ottawa, like you said, I know people have said to Pittsburgh is the other team that's very heavily rumored for Dubas. And Ottawa has actually been rumored. That was brought up. I think Elliot Freeman might have even brought that up. Somebody notable brought it up um, as a potential fit, but uh, Yeah, people debated between Pittsburgh and Ottawa. I think with Ottawa, I mean, Dubas has reportedly been a fan of the Sens growing up, right? I think um, people have said he might not get the credit for the Sens because he didn't construct their core. But I don't know, like he comes in and, and the Sens are on the verge of winning. They're on the verge of success. And I think he's just desperate to win at this point. Could they get him? I think it, it is a real possibility. And I think that, yeah, he would bring the, the pro scouting side of things to the table. And the contracts are signed in Ottawa. Like the only contract he's got to worry about, worry about is Jake Sanderson and, and Jacob Chicker when they come up, and, and to it if he's not done. But I mean, most of the core is under contract. So we can fault him for signing Matthews and Marner and Tavares, but he won't have to do that here. Like the big names are signed. Now he's just got to fill out the holes. It's just about filling out the holes and, and, you know, working with the coach, whoever he would decide to bring in. I'm sure he'd, he'd switch it up to, uh, to build a winning team. And I don't know. I mean, you can say he hasn't won in Toronto. Maybe that's valid. Maybe that's a valid reason to avoid him. But for me, I really like Kyle Davis and I don't blame him or Keith for Toronto's faults.
0: That's the thing too. And, and look, we're talking a lot about the Leafs, but it's a big story. Cause yeah, they're, they're a top team that has lost all the time. So they have to change something. So obviously there's going to be a lot of assets that they have management and coaching included that I'm going to covet as a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in six years. So that's kind of part of it. But also, like. People, a lot of people when I throw Sheldon Keefe were like, I want to, you know, we need a coach who who can win. I can't think off the top of my head of a coach who recently, I'm talking like maybe the last 15 years, who's won a cup in two different places. Uh, I know that people have made it to the finals. I know Peter Laviolette, I think was the coach in Carolina. And then I know he made it to the finals a couple of years later with another team, but maybe Pete DeBoer, but he hasn't won a cup. Like he's, he's had success everywhere he's gone um so that that to me like 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 if Craig Berube becomes available uh and, and and he's he's a coach I don't want him though he he's the same he's DJ Smith like they're the same coach and the Blues suck this year so like like you you want a guy who wins but I think a guy like Keith has proven that he's a good coach there's no reason like okay I think I think Sens fans sometimes have the leaf goggles on too D, we went over Minnesota do you remember when we when we kind of went through their, uh um, playoff you know drought yep. they haven't won in the first round like ever they, they've made the second round once I think um, and Dean Everson who I think if he became available tomorrow Sens fans everyone would be like yeah I want him I want him we just are so hyper focused on Toronto that that's why Sheldon Keefe is like oh no he can't win neither can Everson he hasn't done anything in the playoffs and he's had very good teams so that that's where it's kind of frustrating a little bit mm-hmm. um, and the same goes for Dubas it's like you can't just like guys who win don't leave the places they win for a long, long time. Um, and if you want a winner, Joel Quenville's is out there, but that's another bag of pucks you got to unpack, right? Like, I don't that's, know. I don't know, man. It's just that's a it's- good
1: point. Yeah. It, it's like everybody wants a coach who has success in the playoffs, but coaches who have success in the playoffs don't get fired. Like, unless you're looking years back, right? We could look years back and, oh, in 2015, this guy won in the playoffs, or Peter LaViolette won in the playoffs back then whatever it is, fine. But if we're talking recently and recent success, like coaches who are winning don't get fired. You're not going to find a coach that makes it to the Stanley Cup final or or wins the cup who gets fired the year after. Like you have to factor in regular season success. And I think a lot of people overlook that. Like we're a little hyper-focused on the playoffs, like you're saying.
0: Okay, here's something fun. Okay, so 2010 Blackhawks, 11 Bruins, Kings in 2012, then Blackhawks again, Kings, and then Blackhawks. Okay, that takes us to 2015, that's six Cups handed out. Three different coaches, three different teams. Claude Julien's the one who's available with the Bruins uh, from the 2011 team. He's the only other one. All three of those guys are available. And I, I'm thinking back in my head, then 2016's the Penguins, Penguins again. Um, Barry Trotz, not an option. He's season, you know, he was with Washington, then Craig Berube, then John Cooper, and then uh, Jared Bednar and whoever this year. Like, the most, like the only available guys who have won a cup in the last 23 years are Joel Quenneville, who's a non option for me, and then Daryl Sutter, who's a terrible coach. Like, you can't get a winner because there are no winners available. That's the thing. It's like there's only one coach who wins every year. It's a very rare spot. And maybe people mean just pushing playoff success. Like, Rod Brindamore's had success in the playoffs, but they haven't won anything yet. Like, maybe something like that is what people are trying to get at. But I don't know, man. It's just. Like I said, the Sens' goal is to make playoffs and then go from there. I don't know if I'm going to blame a coach for not getting a team like Toronto uh, past the first round in four straight years.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and even pushing playoff success, like just making it to the third round or whatever, I don't know. Like, there's still not a lot of coaches who do that and then get fired shortly after. If we're talking recently, right? If we're not looking back 10 years. Um but even still, like, yeah, there's not a lot like new coaches are becoming a, a more common thing like we saw with DJ. And, and I think a lot of coaches are going to be a lot of those older coaches are going to be kind of thrown out the out the door now. But Sheldon Keefe, too, I mean, he's only coached Toronto as a head coach. And, and he's done the way I look at it is for him is he's done a good job in the regular season, a great job even in the regular season over the last four years. Like he's built like we talk about winning, but he has won. I mean, 50, winning 50-plus 50 games in each of the last few years is very notable and a, a very you know accomplished thing. Um, can he get a different core and a different team into the playoffs? Yes, I think so, if they're, they're Ottawa's level. Can they win in the playoffs? I mean, probably, but a lot of it relies on the players. Coaches can only do so much anyways. I mean, a lot of it does come down to the core, and, and a lot of the time players get the coach fired. I mean, more often than not, really, it, it comes down to player success. It's not usually like, oh... The coach was completely at fault for this playoff failure, right? I mean, most usually I'd say it's because of the players. Toronto, I say it's because of the players, and and yeah, I mean, I, I'm totally in agreement with you there. Um, I don't know, I don't have anything else to add on it. Like, I think he'd be a good option. I think, uh, I think most coaches would because Ottawa has good players. I, I just, when I say I want a coach with success and who's proven, I don't mean winning a cup, I just mean someone who has shown. They can lead a team to the playoffs and then from there it, it's anyone's guess right i mean it just give me a coach who i know can win dj smith has not won anything give me a coach yeah. who i know can win enough games in the regular season to get into the playoffs and in the playoffs it's just it's it's a lot of it's on the players right like just it's on the core so yeah just give me a proven coach who i know can get them to the playoffs
0: and then we will leave it at that but like that's that's the point is like that's why we talk about gerard Gallon. that's why we're talking about keith it's like these big names who are probably going to be on the market. Um, and by the time people are listening to this, they might know that Keith is fired because um, I believe it was on Twitter that Dubis is scheduled to do his end of year press conference, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, so, so that, that's all just, it's all speculation. We're not going based off any tweets or anything like that. Like it's just our kind of personal preference, but I was just a very, I was pretty surprised um, at the, the reaction of the turmoil. Um, against Sheldon Keith because I think again he would be a major upgrade in Ottawa and he would get the team to the playoffs. So um, at that, Brendan, Brendan, excuse me, we will leave it there. Uh, obviously, like we said at the top of the show, if you're listening to this now, all the bids are due for the Ottawa Senators as of Monday, May 15th. We have no indication of what the next steps are. It could be decided by Tuesday. Could, the Ottawa Senators could have new owners, or it could be a couple of weeks. Um, but we will see. So. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in to episode seven, please like comment and subscribe on the YouTube page. Give us a review on Apple podcasts or on Spotify and uh, stop by next time for episode eight that will be coming your way on Friday.